our desire to see those people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saying that they will ever be a part of Ohana Church, but we are saying that you, Ohana Church, would be the church, and you would live in the community with the gospel, with lives being wide open, ready to make an impact, and reaching this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we're going to do that is, you know, we are, hold a high standard on the word of God. Can I get a witness out there in the church? Uh, no, we're not just a church that say that. We believe that without a shadow of a doubt. And one of the ways we're going to express that in reaching 1% of the city is that we're partnering up with one of our first church plants in Kona, Pastor Jay Parks and New Life. And Pastor Jay Parks and New Life is partnering with Crossway uh, Organization. If you know anything about Crossway, many of your Bibles have been written and, and have been published by Crossway. But I don't know if you knew this, but next year, actually two years from now, in 2020, in April of 2020, Hawaii will be celebrating 200 years since the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to Hawaii. Can I get a witness out there, right? And so, so such a time as this, we have the greatest platform to join with New Life Church and, and, and Crossway and partner with them. And we're creating a, Hawaii, a Hawaiian Bible in English, but it tells the story of how, how the gospel came to Hawaii by starting with the story of Henry Opukaia in the Bible. And so we want to deliver over 800 Bibles uh, around Hilo. And we want them to have that story. There is heritage of the gospel. You may not know this, but the gospel started here on the Big Island, specifically in Kauai High, in Kona. But the revival that we know of, meaning that maybe 20, 10, 15 years down the road, all right, there was a revival and awakening in the kingdom. And that awakening began with one holy pastor with blue eyes that learned Olelo in a month and a half. All right, we, this man was gifted with the speaking of tongues, literal languages, and could interpret, and he could speak many Polynesian languages. His name is Titus Cohen. And he was the seventh pastor of what we know as today, Highly Church. Highly Church. And so we're going to have stories in that ESV version of the Bible. That's what I preach out of every Sunday. And, and in, the, in the beginning of that story, we're going to see a beautiful picture of how the gospel came to Hawaii and how it articulated salvation through Jesus Christ alone, through faith alone, through his glory alone, through the scriptures alone, through his grace alone. And what a beautiful journey we get to be a part of. I hope you understand that going to church is one thing, right? But belonging and being to the church is the true gospel way. And the way we do that is through honoring the preaching of the word. We, we've, been, we've been going through a series uh, last month called By God's Design. And, and we took a break from our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Mark. But we thought about Christmas. What would be the best Christmas series? And we were like, man, let's do opposite. Everybody's going to talk about Christmas stories and, you know, the birth of Mary and all. Let's do opposite. Let's continue through our study through the gospel of Mark. And so by the time Christmas arrives, you won't talk, we won't talk about the birth of Jesus. You know what we're going to talk about on Christmas Day? The Sabbath. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. You say, Why? Why? I think in our culture, you would agree or not agree with me, many of our people understand the Christmas story from a Christian point of view. We are a, a post-Christian kingdom here in Hawaii. And so we understand. What we don't understand is everything that comes after that. Why is it important that we celebrate the nativity setting? Why is it important that we celebrate Jesus' birth? Well, why is the Sabbath important? And so today, what we're simply going to do is we're going to walk verse by verse for the next few months 
continuing through the Gospel of Mark. And we've land on a text where there's an exciting movement taking place in the Gospel of Mark in the area of healing. How many of you need healing or, needs, or someone you're connected with need physical healing? Can I get a witness on there? Right? We believe, all right, we believe that exists today. We're not, we're Baptist church, but we don't believe, like some other people believe that some healing has been dealt with and we don't do it anymore. That was the times of the New Testament. We believe miraculous healing has taken place. I'm going to tell you stories upon stories about people in this church who's been free from cancer, who's been free from other diseases that all we did was been obedient to the scriptures. We read word, the, the, word, the scriptures to them. We prayed and laid hands over them, and we literally see God do miraculous things. If, if you've been a part of those miraculous miracles, going to get a witness. Say amen. Right? Amen. We've seen some amazing things. And what I want us to do is I want to continue to walk through this beautiful narrative of God's story. That he is, he's, he's ono, yeah? He's good, literally. We're delicious wines, right? He's good. And I want you to see the beauty of Christ in our story today. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word? Ho'omau kaukau. In the Gospel of Mark, it says this. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at where? Home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they called, and when they could not get near to Jesus because of the big crowd, they removed the roof above him. Wow, can I get a witness, right? And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, say it with me, one, two, three, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Listen to this. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know, but you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Can I get a witness out there, right? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, say that big word with me, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And Jesus, and he, the paralytic, rose up immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. How many of you can concur with that, right? We never saw anything like this. As a Kanaka growing up here, I never saw anything like Jesus until I met Jesus. Grew up in the Christian home. Father was a kahu. Mother was a godly woman, fiery woman, right? But, but heard the gospel, heard the story all my life. But I rarely have an experience until I was 18 years old. And when I met Jesus, let me, let me tell you this, I never turned back. 
Because the Jesus we preach doesn't just plant seeds. He makes them grow. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you grow these seeds in Jesus' name. And God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. My sermon is entitled, A Life of Ministry. Believe it or not, I know I'm a young man, but this past fall I celebrated 17 years of being a pastor, all right? Uh, that is crazy, right? Like, you, know, you must have started right out of high school. I did, right out of high school. I came to faith in Christ, and the church was crazy enough to give this Kanaka Maole a Bible, right, and some youth, opio, all right? The problem was, I was green. I didn't know theology. You know, I didn't understand methodology. How to run. I mean, the first youth uh, event we did, I wanted to scrap a parent. I mean, that's how bad I was. I didn't understand all this stuff. But they believed in me, uh, foolishly, right, of course, blindly. Uh, but they trusted in me. And, uh, you know, I've never turned back because of the relationship that I have with Jesus wasn't founded on what Zeke brought to the table, but what God brought to the table through Jesus. You know, we, we bring nothing to the table of salvation but the sin that was necessary for Christ to die on our behalf. That is the only thing we bring to salvation. We are, we are, we are heaven. We're sinful. All right? We get opala. We get plenty of junk in our lives. And God in his sovereign grace gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace, salvation, he, he, and, and, and withholding what we do deserve, he gives us mercy. And so what I've understood in the life of ministry for the last 17 years is this. Listen to me. The only thing we bring to the table after salvation is our personal love relationship with the Lord. Personal story right there. The thing that I love the most, many of you don't know that if you've been here for the next, just recently, but I love music. And I haven't played for about two years. I haven't played with the team. And I love music. That's, that's my background. I, I have a music degree. And, and I love it, but, but I was getting so burned out with preaching and music, so I went through a season where I didn't play for two years, and I would go off and on here and there with places that needed me. But, but, I, but what music does for me, right, it captivates my soul in a way that connects with Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that it trumps Scripture. What I'm saying, it connects me with Scripture. Scripture is the only foundation we have to connect with a living God. How can we rightly pray rightly live, rightly serve, rightly apologize or confess our sins to one another or ask for forgiveness? How can we be in right relationship with God with the one thing he gave us to be in right relationship with him, his word? It's impossible. I mean, the truth of the matter is this, that the more I, the more I sin, the more I stay away from God's word. And the opposite is true. The more I, the more I, in, I am in God's word, the more I am away from sin. Because God's word, as we learned last week, is living and active more than, than a two-edged sword. And so we see this beautiful picture of grace. Yeah, I've been through seminary. Yeah, I've been through Bible college. But none of that matters when it comes to my relationship with God. Yeah, I've had some great ballers, shot callers in my life to invest in me theologically, mythologically. But none of that matters. What matters is my relationship with the Lord Jesus. A life of ministry must be a life filled with Jesus or there is nothing. Like a car that needs fuel to survive and needs mechanical work, I need Jesus. We need Jesus. This season, if you did not know about it, this church, say it with me, is about Jesus. 
Nothing else matters. It's not, it's not Jesus and plus. It's Jesus, period. I know the equation may not work. That's why it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It always has been Jesus, and it always will be Jesus because that's what we stand for. Christ, Jesus. This is the season, not just of giving, but listen to me. This is a season of Jesus because he is the grace gifter. And I want us to look at a couple things in our text today. A couple things that I want us to evaluate our walk. Do we know Jesus? Not from an Americanized, Westernized culture. Do we know Jesus from the scripture? And I want us to see clearly what Jesus does in order that we may know him. Number one, we see a personal walk. We see a personal walk, all right? Our personal walk. When it comes to ministry, life of ministry, what does your personal walk with Jesus look like? I want you to see verse 1. Verse 1 says this, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, right, which is his home, we find this out in the text, after some days, well, what, were, what were he doing in those days? He was healing. He was preaching the gospel. He was uh, uh, freeing people from their demon possession. There was a lot of things going. He was doing ministry. He was doing for God what he was called to do as God. You guys understand what I just said? He was doing for God what he was called to do as God himself. To serve, to preach, to heal to rebuke the demons. He is doing that, right? And it goes on. It was reported, right? It was reported. What was reported? That he was at his house. Don't believe those hippies that believe Jesus didn't have a home. The text says otherwise. He had a holly, all right? He had a home, right? And look at this. This is significant. It was reported that he was at home. Why was he at home? Why was it reported? Because Jesus at this time in his journey has become famous. He was becoming famous not simply because he was God. He was becoming famous because he was doing things that helped people out. That's the first connection with the gospel. We supply people's needs. That's why we are in the community and we're serving community because we're, we're a picture of Jesus, his hands and, and his feet. And so Jesus has done some miraculous things. If you read all chapter 1. Chapter 1, he did all these things and people were like, I want to know this Jesus because some of them had needs. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I get needs today. Tell your other neighbor, other neighbor. Now, not with a T-H-E-R, right? Ada, with the D-D-A in there, right? Hey, say, say neighbor. All right, all right. I get needs. How many of you in this room is a needy person? Can I get an amen, right? Now, most of you just sinned in this room. Let me say that again. Because you just lied. How many in this room are needy people? Raise your hand, all right. Hawaiians at hot, yeah, yeah. We needy, bro. We are in need of stuff. But more than stuff, we are in need of a relationship with God through Jesus. So these people are coming because they're needy people and they need to be fixed. And I want you to see what God does. God meets them where they're at, but before God meets them where they're at, I want us to talk about the personal walk of Jesus. Why did Jesus go home? Let's ask that question. Well, look at the text. He went home for two reasons. I believe this. Number one, to rest. To rest. It's not, a, it's not a surprise. It's not a news. But after 17 of years of ministry, my family and I are going to take a long rest. After Christmas Sunday, you know, by God's grace and the approval of the leadership of the church, we're going to take a two and a half month break. We're going to rest. 
Why? Because my relationship with God is primary than anything else. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my keiki, that's primary. Everything else is just the overflow. Here's the problem with overflow. You guys ready? A lot of needy people. And guess what? I'm needy too. I need rest. My ohana needs rest. Kahu Marcus needs rest. Amen, Kahu? We all need rest, and Jesus demonstrates why he goes home. Because in his humanity, remember, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. How all that works, it just works, Hawaiians. Okay, it just is what it is. Trust in Jesus. Right, he needs rest. The Bible is clear that Jesus was a human just like you and me. Yes, he farted just like you and I. Some of you thinking now, right? Yes, when he was a baby. He wasn't a baby and he didn't poop, he pooped. He did all that kind of stuff, because he, he was human just like you and me. He had a successful ministry when he got older. In chapter one, we see all this success take place. Uh, but look, ministry is beautiful. And listen to me, ministry is ugly. You know why? Because you deal with people. And you know what the thing about people? They're beautiful. You know also about people? They stinking ugly. As a pastor for 17 years, I've been hurt, I've been lied about, I've been accused. Listen to me, I could go on social media and vent all the stories that has happened to me and my wife. But what would that do for the cause of the gospel? Listen to me, this is the whole reason why God called me to be a minister. So that people who are needy would find their need in Jesus. May our reflection and our reactions found in rest with our Father, with our Savior. Number two, he went home because he wanted to be with his family, right? He wanted to be with his Ohana, hint the name Ohana Church, right? He was refreshed by himself when he was with his family. What an appropriate treat for, this, uh, for our church as we spend time today in this holiday season, right? In this Christmas Advent season. God's design for you and I, was to be in right relationship with him and right relationship with our family. That was God's design. And we see Jesus modeling that. And hey, think about this. You guys remember those, those signs? We have it in our house, but it says, home is where the heart is. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Isn't that so true? Isn't that true? Jesus models this very reality that home is where the heart is. And where his heart is is where his family is. Like, we're going to go to Tennessee, okay? That's where my wife is from. All right, we're going to go to Tennessee. We're not going to be here on the Aina, on the Moku. Eh? We're going to be in Tennessee. And Tennessee is going to be home for me. Why? Because my family's there. That's where my heart is. That's where, where God has put my heart is. This is a metaphor of value and belonging. For Jesus, his heart was at his home with his family in Capernaum. Some of you are like, man, I wish you would take my family and give me a new family, Lord. Yeah. I see the faces in here. That's the reality. Will you take my family? Hey, growing up in one Christian church that was on I mean, one household that we struggled, bro. It was a regular family. All right, I, I said the same prayer. That's why I would be with other families every time. Because I, I didn't like my family. But the reality is, what I was missing was a relationship with the Lord. Listen to me. For me, it, it, for me you know, that may look like living in Paneva Homestead. I love being in Hawaii. Promise kind. And if you howlers get offended with that, no worry, be proud of being howling, okay? 
I love being Hawaiian. Every part of it. I love my people. I love my culture. I love it all. Like I, said, I even love living in Homestead. You know why? Because in Homestead, people still hang out at the porch and still talk about it. I promise you. You go live Las Vegas and Tennessee where it was great. Where it? You know, I, love Homestead. I love seeing the legends who's still alive. And we, oh, yeah, that brother in school won 106 touchdown. 100 yards. We never seen it in life, but we hear stories like that. Oh, hello. And I, I love li- my, my house is literally one block away, Hines. I love seeing the keiki on the street. I love seeing the uncles, the, the, the coaches that come to my house and, and I make them drink in my yard, not in my house, you know, and I keep their pilaki outside. All that. All that. I love their, their hakaka spirit when they get drunk and all that, and I, and I get to share the gospel there, witness it. I love it when, I love it when one of the coaches get mad and I live on Kaha'opea, so you guys can come visit anytime you like, all right? And, and all these guys find out Kaha'opea. And the coaches grab and put the chair right in the middle and say, I, they, I like them sweet now, Kahu. And all that. <laughs> like, like, I love that. I, lo- I love the ownership of Hawaiians take over of our aina. You come through our aina, bro. You, you say aloha and you're driving five miles an hour. I'm telling you that right now. I, I love it, bro. I love, I love it when, you know, when, 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 when cops come over just to have cops. Like, literally, cops come over there. Maybe the cops that grew up around us, you know, the other ones, they never come, they never come around. And, uh, but they work for cops too. I love everything. That's my home. Right? I love watching my kids in their underwear, running all around the aina. Right? And that's my home. They can act that way. What I'm saying, home is where the heart is. And Jesus demonstrated that. Lance Witt said this about ministers. He says, we have neglected the fact that a pastor's greatest leadership too is a healthy soul. I want you to think about that. Though it talks about leadership in the church, this is for all of us. We have neglect the fact that we, our greatest leadership tool, is a healthy soul. Though, though this focus is on pastors, it's for the family of God. Here's a life application. Each family must strive to take one day out of a week to rest and be refreshed together. We don't even have dinners around the table anymore, yeah? Not, not our family. Like every night we have dinners together. We, we value that. Without, even like we grab bus of the ukuleles, the tambourines, and it's loud and it, sometimes it sucks the worship, right? No, for real. Like, Kainalo wants to talk about doo-doo all the time. Like, it's where he at, all right? And, and, and like, we gotta, and they're fighting over a tambourine, punching each other while we're worshiping Jesus. What a godly family, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> we all gotta stop somewhere, Hawaiian. But what does your personal walk with the Lord look like? Is it refreshed? Are you resting in Him? Are you resting with your family? Are you shepherding your heart? And are you shepherding the hearts that belong to you? Are you, are you a steward of God's grace in your life, in, in the life of your children, in your wife, your, your husband? Are you a steward of God's grace? Number two, we see our public walk. We see that our text moves quickly from Jesus resting in his home to him being visited by many people in need. Could you imagine that? I can tell you, when I was a pastor in the mainland, we didn't encourage this. We didn't, because I was a part of a mega church. We did not encourage people coming to our house all the time. But we see nothing about open invitation here, right? It sounds like Jesus was part Hawaiian or something, you know, because, like, we just... You know, you know, so funny. 
Go in the mainland. You have your, what you got? You got the uh, invite cards to graduation parties and, and wedding, RSVP and all that. Hi, when we grew up, we never need that. You just go show up at the party. Automatic. I don't know why you live in Hawaii, try to change the culture, and say, we're like a small wedding, and you relate it to like a thousand people in Hilo. Like, like, we're going to show up. Eh? You may not like us showing up, but let me tell you, we're going to show up, right? I, I wish church people was more like that, you know what I'm saying, for Sunday mornings, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to show up, no matter what, even though I was invited. Like, this is what happened. There's no open invitation in the text that we say. It just said that people heard Jesus was at home, and end up in his house, right? That's how, that's how it is. And look, look, verse 2 says that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. It was jam-packed, Hawaiians. That's what it means, right? He says, and he, look at Jesus. Look at the opportunity. He's rested. He's refreshed. Look at what happens. He was preaching the word to them. I want to encourage you. Every opportunity, every circumstance is an opportunity to preach the word. Every opportunity. I'm encouraged that after five years of coaching that we're finally seeing people come to grasp the gospel on our football team. Like I, I'm excited. Like our JV is the highlight. I, I lead our JV, and, and that's the highlight of my season. When we lost, when we lost the last game just by one touchdown, right? The response of the captains is like, you know what? Can we pray, Kahu? I'm a Kahu. You can pray all day long. We can pray. And usually we encourage the coaches not to pray with the team because of the laws at hand. And I just felt necessary to be with them that one time. Those are the boys that have come to Sunday night youth group. Those are the boys that have come to my house many times. And, and all these, these, are, these are boys that may never come to our church, our Halepule. But, but we are the church, and we're going to be there, wherever they're at. And these are boys that seek counsel. That's better than any state championship. And I have a ring right on my desk. You can go look at them after this. And, and it just stays on my desk. I do nothing with it. Because it's a reminder of eternity for these boys. Like, I'm never going to wear it. Like, a couple hundred dollars. But those boys' souls are so... And, and not just boys, but we got girls now playing Hallelujah, right? Yeah. That, that, that have expressed this beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus did not turn them away, even when he was resting. He welcomed these people in and used it as an opportunity to preach to them. Then something profound takes place. Let's read on. Verse 3, if you couldn't put it up back up to verse 3, he says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by how many men? Four men. And when they could not get near him, because the crowd... They removed the roof above him. Let me tell you something. If you move my roof at homestead, I promise you, you can get cracks. No, for real. And we say it all the time, just like salvation. Help me out. Cracks is free. I mean, it's the reality. But we see like a different response. Like the Savior of the world, the Lord of lords, the, kings, the King of kings, Right? We, he, he allows this thing to take place. And when they had, look at that, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. What do you think? This is chaos, man. Right, the only option for them was to do what they just did. And they did whatever it took 
to get this lame man, this paralytic man, to Jesus. Whatever they did. Listen to Here's a re reflectional thought for all of us. Listen to me. How many of us followers of Christ are willing to do what must be done in order to bring people to Jesus? Even rip the Savior of the world's roof off. How many of you are willing to do what you must do to get people to Jesus? Are you willing to rip off a roof in order to lower a lame man down to Jesus? Are you willing to go after the ones who have walked away for Jesus and that is a struggle and needy? Are you willing to go after the ones who are far from God, meaning they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you, they ain't you? Right? Are you willing to confront someone of their sin? That's a big one. And restore them back to God. That's another big one. And for me, growing up, even today, is I'm, a, I'm a conflicted coach, man. I have issues, and I'm crazy. I'm nuts, right? You see me on the side? I'm nuts. That's who I am. And like, like, like I, it's easy for me to confront people. I'm not scared. I love Pilakia. I love Hakaka. God wired me for that, right? I like that. But what I have a hard time with is restoring people that don't deserve God's grace. And then I got to think of my own heart. I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve God's love, right? Are we willing to give up our last $20 to encourage someone to the Lord? Listen to me. Great things happen when we are sold out for the Lord Jesus. Look at around. Four years in this church plant. God has done amazing things. I want you to see what happens as the outcome of God's grace. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith. Now stop right there. It's an interesting text right there. He didn't say he saw the paralytic man's faith. It says that he saw the four man's faith. I don't think you get this growing up in this kind of day and age, all right? The charismatic doctrines will teach otherwise, that if you individually have faith, right, you'll be healed. Or if you don't have enough faith, you won't be healed. But Jesus is not even looking at the paralytical man for faith. Jesus is looking at the four men who brought this paralytical man to him. He's looking at their faith, right? He says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytical man, son, your sins are, help me out, forgiven. Very theological. You got to understand this. So you have to understand this encounter. Back in Romans, it says this, faith comes by hearing, help me out, and hearing the word of Christ. So what this means is that these men, these four men, experienced Christ on a prior day before this one. Chapter 1 talks about all the healings. All the miraculous things that's going on. These four men were a part of one of those healings. They experienced God by faith. God is connecting the dots between faith and God experience. That's what's going on right now. You cannot get healed. You cannot see Jesus as apart from faith. So faith comes by hearing. So why does God preach the gospel? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Well, how does people get saved? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So these four brothers experiences God's word and by faith on another day that we don't know of, we just have to assume from chapter one, they experience Jesus in such a way they're going to do anything to get this paralytic man to Jesus. Anything they have to. Anything. 
For my mother, it was me. I was in trouble with the law my senior year of high school. I was selling dope, and I, was, I lost my football scholarship for assaulting a coach my senior year of high school. And my mother had to do something, to do anything it means to get me to Jesus. What she knew was that my sister in Las Vegas, Nevada, was a part of a new church plant. Right? She knew that if I just get, because I respected my older sister as my second mom, she knew if I got me, if she got me to that sister, everything else would be okay. But my mom was like, everybody of Hawaiian. We live paycheck from paycheck. Who's going to support my boy up there? You know what my mom did, I found out later? She didn't beg people for miles. Beg people just to get me off this rock. And here's the joy of it. You ready? I met Jesus. We, we met Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus. It's not just the reason for the season. These cliche Christmas things we say. Jesus is the reason, period. This is not just Jesus' season. Every season belongs to the Lord. If we would be just faithful, like these four men of faith, to bring this paralytics to Jesus. I'm not talking about real lame people, but if it is, amen, hallelujah, let's bring lame people to Jesus, right? I'm talking about the heart of the matter. We would see Jesus shine brightly. He would forgive us of our sins. A picture of the cross. This is a picture of his substitutionary atonement on the cross for you and I. This is what's in preparation of what they would experience when Jesus is crucified on the cross. I want you to see the word faith. The word faith in the Greek is a feminine word to a lot of scholars. It's the word pistis. It's not something that you muster up in yourself. Faith is actually a gift God gives you to respond to him. There's a lot of theological, theological direction on what that means. I believe God is 100% sovereign. He wills who he calls, and he saves who he calls. So I believe that the faith that we have has nothing to do with us mustering up anything, but everything to do with what God gives us to trust and believe in him. These men had pissed his. They had faith, and their faith encounter with God was their way of sharing God with other men. It's this biblical truth. Our personal walk with Christ will always overflow into our public walk with bringing others to Christ. Others to Christ. I would even question everyone in this room. Who is the last person you brought to Christ? Genuinely. Who are the last person you brought to Jesus? And if there's no one you can think of, I would question where your heart is today. I don't, I'm not one of those Nancy preachers that believe, oh, God's going to let you do whatever you want. No, that's not the text. The Bible, I believe in, doesn't just plant. It waters and it blossoms. It's powerful enough to save Paul, a killer of Christians, who became the greatest Christian in his dying age. The Lord did not save us. Listen to me. The Lord did not save us to sideline us. Thank God football players who are sidelined in the gospel, you in. You first team, every one of you. The Lord did not save us to sideline us. He saved us to share the message of love, mercy, and grace to sinners who deserve judgment. That's what he rescued us. And, and here's our last truth, our platform. We see our platform. Verse 6 says this. Now, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. He is blaspheming, Right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Listen to me, guys. 
They're not talking out loud if you can understand the text. They're talking in their heart. They're gossiping in their heart. Watch this. You guys ready? You guys like Marvel, DC Comics, some of you over here? Yeah, some of you boys? Watch Jesus drop the bomb, right? Verse 8 says this. And immediately. You know what immediately means? Immediately, right then. Jesus perceiving in his what? Spirit. So we go from a position of humanity, Jesus, to Savior, Jesus. Lord, man, God, one, right? Look at this. Jesus says this, perceiving in his spirits, right? That they, that, that they thus questioned with themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Right? This is like, wow. You know these guys are like, man, I didn't even say nothing. This is Hawaiian. They're correcting me. I never said nothing. This bugger isn't coming at me like that, right? And look, 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 look what I said. He's confronting them. Jesus and his lordship is this. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, it says, But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus makes a huge statement in front of these scribes. He answers their, out, their unout loud question. And he says, I am God. Boom, drop the mic. You gotta understand, we don't understand this because we live in an Americanized Western culture today. We don't understand the context of this day. Jewish people were thought about the prophecies of the Old Testament, about Jesus, uh, not specifically the name of Jesus, but God was come back, right? And what they were looking for, they were looking for like a, a literal king, right? Like, like a King Herod. But Jesus was born of a manger. What good can come out of Nazareth later after that? And Jesus dropped bombs, I am God. And that's one of the reasons why secular believers believe he was killed because of blasphemy that he was God. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, here's the power of Jesus, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Why do you see the response of those who are there? Because the gospel is not truly the gospel if no one responds to it. Watch the outcome of what Jesus says. Verse 12. And the man rose and immediately, again you see that word immediately, yeah? Picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, say these words with me, one through three. We never saw anything like that. Ha. Sister, that will punch you in the gut. That will change your now. The God, the lame man represents us in our sin. We're all sinful. We all come to God weak, feeble, lame, unable to do anything like the lame man. And I love how Jesus, Jesus, there's not somebody else representing Jesus. Look at the New Testament. Jesus is representing himself. It's kind of funny that we think that we're Samson, and we're David, and we're Daniel, we're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, we're the people of Israel, sinful, lost, in need of Jesus. We're lame. We're blind. You're not the hero to this story. Jesus is. 
Jesus don't need to stand. Nobody needs to stand for Jesus, right? He stands for himself. And look, 700 years before he comes on the scene as a human, Isaiah the prophet prophesies this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be what? Open. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man, help me out, leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth. Here you go. You ready? For waters break forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert. I lived in the desert for 12, oh, 10 years about, right? Listen to me. It only rained like once a year. And so there's this place called the Hoover Dam. And they've, they've created it, man-made created it so that Las Vegas could be self-sustaining with water. And one of the things about this kind of water, it has to be treated. It's not like Gila water. Can I get a witness? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, if you grew up in Gila, you understand what I mean, right? Gila water is ono. I mean, like, the closest thing to Gila water was in Rome when I went to Rome and all that. Close, but not even not Gila. Gila gets some ono water. I know some people have screwed up the Ahupua'as trenches and all that, but Hilo get Ono water, right? In Las Vegas, no drink the water. <laughs> you drink the water, you can go batch them, promise you kind. And here's the reality. The water is so hard in Hoover Dam and Lake Mead that they have to treat it even more. But the more they treat it, the more the water gets harder. So when you take a bocho and you ow, ow, take a bat, all that stuff and all that, you know what happens? Your body becomes hard. It's our only option. And listen to me. For us Las Vegans, whatever you call them, that was our only source. You think we're going to be picky and bathe in all that kind of water? Listen to me. It's just like our relationship with Jesus. He's our only source. And sometimes, Jesus being our source is rough. It's hard. Sometimes Jesus got to putty us a couple times, several times, several hundred times, just for us to accept the fact that apart from him, we're nothing. This is why I say this, because it's Christmas season, and I see all you guys' stockings going up and all that, and you guys are going to get broke for the sake of Christmas. You all laugh. You know I tell them the truth, Hines. Every one of us will have to meet with financial advisors after Christmas season. Because listen to me. We invest our lives in the cultural rituals rather than God himself. And, and I'm guilty of that. I get it. I'm guilty of that. Like I grew up, me and Ulu, we grew up poor. We didn't celebrate Christmas, not because we had a convictional issue. We couldn't afford a Christmas tree. And back then it was $10 for a six-foot tree, you know? And we just couldn't do nothing. So you know what us Hawaiians will do, huh? We'll wait for tax return in January and February to have our Christmas, right? You all laugh. You know what I'm talking about. Huh? That's the kind of people we like. We never understood that, that whole cultural Christmas stuff. And what happens, I come to find out, you know, years later, that if we don't look to Christ, we will be no different than this lame man. Now, I'm not talking about the lame man, his physicality. I'm talking about our sin nature. Christmas season is the greatest opportunity, hear me out, you guys ready? To walk with Jesus. I'm convinced that when God judges us, 
He won't judge us based on what we do for him. He will judge us based on us spending time with him. We're, prayer, we're preparing for eternity. Listen to me. When you prepare for something, you got to do action steps to prepare for that something. We're not preparing for eternity to do stuff for God. Not going to have mission trips in heaven. Not going to have preaching in heaven. Why? Because everything almost happened down there. So listen to me. He's not going to ask you what you've done for him. He's going to rhetorically look at you and say, How's my time spent with you been? So my question to the church today would be, how is your walk with the Lord? Because it's easy to look at this text and see, oh yeah, I got to do this for God. I got to bring a lame man to God. That's the icing on the cake. That happens as the overflow of your time spent with God. Why are we depressed? Why are we burned out? Because we're so caught up in doing stuff for God instead of being with God. Adam got to walk with the Lord. Spend time with Lord. Him and Eve got to be, walk and be porno with the Lord. Yes, they got to do, had kuleana with the garden and with the animals and all that. But their greatest experience in the garden wasn't doing something for the Lord. You think God needed us? That's what makes him God. He don't need us. But in his sovereign grace, we get God. Not because of what you bring to the table, but because of Jesus, what he does through you and I. So here's our challenge to you, and then we'll be powerful. Our challenge to you is that you would invite five or more people to our Christmas service on Sunday morning, December 23rd. If we're spending time with the Lord Jesus, listen to me. The result of that is easy. It's cake. People are going to like what you have. Why? Because they're needy. They want what you have. May what we have be Jesus. A relationship, a fellowship, and the outcome of that is by faith, people would know Jesus as Lord and Lords, King of Kings, and nothing else would matter but the glory of Christ in Hilo throughout the world because Jesus is worth it. God, we pray for the souls in this room today. Thank you for a simple message. Some of us have heard it many times, and that may be the problem. We've heard it many times, but we do nothing with it. So, Lord, I pray right now for the forgiveness of our sins. But every head bow and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, just like the lame man representing our lame spirit, if you would say, man, I need Jesus today, whether it's salvation or sanctification, whatever that process looks like, if you need Jesus today, would you, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, would you simply raise your hands and lift it up? Amen. Amen. I'm raising it with you. I am in need of Jesus today. Not going through the motions of, I need Jesus. And so, God, we pray right now that our greatest need would be revealed through the scriptures today. And by faith, we would trust in you. If you're in this room and you would say, man, your, your relationship with the Lord is going, it's, it's solid. 
But you just need some clarity on what that means in the overflow of your life. Whether that's being a, a pastor, a church planner, a, a, a missionary somewhere else, or whatever the case, or just being more on mission at your school, at your job, whatever the case is. If you need more clarity from the Lord Jesus, and that's you, would you simply raise your hand right now? Yeah? Yeah, I see it all over the room. Jesus, thank you for these people who have raised their hands. They need clarity. And so, God, that clarity comes from your word. God, thank you for your mana'o. Thank you for giving us what we don't deserve, a relationship with you through Jesus. Empower us in your spirit. And we may not have every detail down from the text today as we exegete it. What a long text. There's so much more to gain as I studied this week. But that's the walk of faith we get to journey with you, Lord. So, Lord, free us from our sins. Deliver us. As the Lord prayed, we pray out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. And God's people said,